G'day and welcome to the podcast of Outpost Church in McLaren Vale. We hope you find this encouraging. Matthew chapter 4 from verse 12. So we're at a point in Matthew's gospel. If you've got a print Bible, you'll be able to see a bit more going on at once. But uh, in, in Matthew's account, we do get a bit more of the Christmas story. So we've just had like the genealogy of Jesus and how his birth took place and we get stuff around the Magi um, and then we have Jesus, uh, well we have John the Baptist and Jesus getting baptized and then being sent out into the wilderness. Once he receives the Holy Spirit, he spends 40 days without eating and then he's tempted by the devil and then we pick it up after he has withstood that temptation and he's had some angels that have attended him. And we pick it up in verse 12. When he, being Jesus, heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. He left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali along the road by the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Then the news about him spread throughout Syria. So they brought to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains, the demon-possessed, the epileptics, and the paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. I'm going to pray. Father... Thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that everything changes because of Jesus. Thank you that we are gathered here today because of Jesus. Thank you for what we've just read. Thank you for the way his ministry began. We thank you for all those who were impacted directly by his ministry as he walked the earth all those years ago. And thank you that we are still impacted by his ministry today. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here with us. So this is not just something that we read in a book, but this is something that we get to be a part of right here, right now. And I pray that today would be a day that we get a better grasp on that. I ask that we would be so aware of your presence, Holy Spirit, that you would take these words, uh, you would interpret them for us, you would apply them to our lives so that we can walk it out, 
live out the reality of you at work in and through us. So have your way in us. Have your way in this space. May this be for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Has anyone here ever driven in one of those bizarre countries where they drive on the right-hand side of the road? A couple of you have had that experience of driving on the right-hand side of the road. I've done it a few different times in a few different places. And one particularly memorable experience of driving on the right-hand side of the road was, was in Canada. And it tricked me because it's a one-way street. And I'm turning left from out of a one-way street. And so I am banked up on the left-hand side of the road, right against the curb. And it's traffic light, and I'm turning onto a two-way street. So in Australia, you're on the left, you hug the curb, and you just go around. And this was a little way into our time in Canada. Um, and so I'd been getting increasingly familiar with driving on the right-hand side of the road. But on this occasion, just old habits. And so I turn, hug the curb, um, and then I don't know how far I got before I realized that the cars were coming closer and closer and faster and faster. Uh, fortunately, no disaster happened, and yes, I'm still alive, spoiler alert, um, no disaster took place. But just that moment of like, oh no, <laughs> the car's coming this way. I remember my grandpa um, in his later years had a similar experience, although it was in Australia, um, as some people do as they uh, get a bit older and it gets a bit harder to do the things that you're familiar with. Um, but on that particular occasion, I became very aware that this was a foreign place. I was doing something that was familiar, but the place in which I was doing it was quite distinctly different. And the same rules that might apply back home did not apply there. Like if we were to do something as a group and say, all right, we are going to be right-hand drivers. We're going to drive on the right-hand side of the road and do that out here. What do you think would happen? Yeah, probably some crashes. Probably some pretty annoyed people around going, what are you doing? Wouldn't be the best witness for Outpost Church. We drive on the right-hand side of the road and that's what we do. But it'd be a massive culture clash, wouldn't it? Because we don't do that here in Australia. But it's this interesting thing that whenever I've been overseas and I've come back home, it's a bit weird to think about going overseas in the current climate with COVID and stuff, but you come back home and you see things a bit differently. I was sharing a couple of weeks ago about my friend who'd been in Eastern Europe as a missionary and he came home um, and he was with a friend of his and his friend was showing him his freshly renovated kitchen and he felt sick to his stomach about the indulgence of this kitchen. And now for most of us, like a friend says, oh, I've just updated my kitchen. We're like, high five, that's awesome. It's a part of the culture where we would just go, that's a normal part of life. But for him, because of what he'd been exposed to, coming back and then seeing this, he's like, but there's kids that have nothing to eat. You had a perfectly good kitchen and now you're doing this. His everyday assumptions were challenged because of the experience and the reality of the culture that he'd just come out of. And for us, we are citizens of heaven. Philippians tells us that we eagerly expect a saviour from there. 
We are citizens of heaven. We should learn something from that experience of coming back home and viewing things differently because it should be our experience whenever we face our culture. It is so easy for us to become like everything around us. In Romans chapter 12, it's quite a well-known scripture. Uh, Verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed for the renewing, no, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. I want to know God's will. I need to be transformed. And it's the renewing of my mind that will do that. And it's the saying no to being conformed to the pattern of this world. Eugene Peterson in the message, he puts it um, an interesting way. If anyone's got a copy of the message um, in Romans chapter 12, um, it is definitely worth a look. I've got it here as well. So he says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. We don't want the culture around us to be our personal culture. We are designed to be a counterculture. Not for the sake of being a counterculture, not because we just want to be different from those around us, but because we must be in order to follow Jesus. It's the kingdom of heaven. That's our focus. Christy talked about it last week, about a bit of uh, the history of Outpost and our vision and our values and the reality for us, like our name. The name Outpost is Outpost of Heaven or an outpost of the kingdom of heaven. We want what happens with us. I was about to say what happens here, but it's much bigger than what happens in this place. What happens with us is actually representative of a different kingdom. And obviously, there is no kingdom without the king. It is about Jesus, and it's about what he says. We want his words to be ringing in our ears much louder than the words of the world around us. There are so many people that want our time, our attention, our money. They want the influence that we can bring. But it's Jesus that paid a high price for that. It's Jesus that shed his blood so that this world would be reconciled to him and we are part of that process of reconciliation we are declaring we are calling out be reconciled to God we ourselves are reconciled to him and we get to participate in this work of reconciliation which is amazing I want to see things different I don't want to just have what's happening everywhere as being normal for me if the people that I'm spending all my time with are updating their car every six months. If everyone that I'm hanging out with is sleeping around 
if everyone that I'm hanging around with is completely obsessed with football. There are three very different examples for you. But any of those three environments is going to have repercussions on me. It's going to become so normal to update your car ridiculously often. It's going to become so normal to desacredize, that's a really horrible phrase, but sex. It's going to become really normal to spend all of your energy on a game. I don't want to do any of those things. I want who I am to represent him. I want to give you a little bit of um, the backstory of Outpost today. A little bit of the backstory. So, back in 2016, at the end of the year, I sensed the call to plant a church. And I was sitting in what is a notoriously boring meeting. It is a three day long meeting, probably enough said. Three day long meeting. The um, annual meeting of the Presbytery and Synod of the United Church in South Australia. Possibly even more boring than it sounds. And so three-day meeting, and it was at that particular meeting where I sensed God's call to plant a uniting church. Not just a church, but a church within the uniting church. That was all the detail that I had. Christy was at the same meeting, but didn't sense the same call. And so the next year became a period of discerning for us. Is this what God is saying? There was certainly resonance there, but we figured it was a fairly big deal. Um, I know you see on the edge of your seats wondering what actually happened and did, did the church get planted. Um, but so the next year we did a, a subject at Bible College together, which was on church planting. Uh, we went off to a, a conference together on church planting and just researched, talked to people, prayed, asked other people to pray. And it became a really big focus for that next year. And a beautiful thing happened. Whilst it was me that sensed that initial call to plant, the other details that we got over the course of that year were all through Christy. And so Christy's like, I want to receive this call as well, was the one who got the name, the location, and the basic format. And I remember sitting on the plane on the way up to this conference we went to, and we had this idea of, you know, how church could work. And we're like, oh, that's amazing. And then we're like, oh, kids. How are we going to do that with kids? It needs to involve kids for obvious reasons. Um, and it was on the way back where Christy went, what if we did this and this and this? And, and that was our format, certainly for the first 18 months. Um, and it strongly informed the format that we still have. And then the location of McLaren Vale. And the name outposts, as we've already discussed. But each of these things were things that we believe that God spoke to Christy. Um, and as Christy shared them with me, there was a deep resonance. Um, and so one of the things that was particularly encouraging for us, and a, a big part of the, the sermon, was that we felt this call to plant a uniting church here in McLaren Vale. We're currently sitting slash standing in a United Church here in McLaren Vale. There's already one here. So if we're planting a Uniting Church where there is already a Uniting Church, 
we definitely should at the very least chat to the current Uniting Church in said location. And so like we'd, we'd come here, you know, we'd look through the windows and that sort of stuff, um, you know, in this, as part of this discernment process. Um, and in talking to some people at Synod, we had a, a basic process that we decided to follow, which was that we would um, allow them to start the process. So someone from Synod came here and chatted to the church council. And this is December 2017. And when she um, told them, very, very basic details that there were a couple who were looking to plant a church um, and they wanted to actually use this building. Um, they were shocked. And for me, when that got reported back, I was like, yes, the news hasn't traveled to them via any other way. So that's a helpful thing that it wasn't something they'd already heard another way. But the second thing, like within two minutes, this group this church council of the McLaren Vale Uniting were getting excited about the possibilities and seeing it as a potential answer to a very significant prayer that they had been praying. And that's not a given <laughs> that a church has someone rock up and say, we actually want to plant a church here, uh, mind if we use your building. Um, and 11 days later, Christy and I rocked up, and that was the first time they realized who we were. So my grandma um, came to this church from time to time, way back when. My grandma and my grandpa uh, have a plaque out here in the cemetery. Uh, I was born in the McLaren Vale Hospital. So there's connections here. Um, I played footy here. I've worked here. All these things, you know, in my past, there's connections here. But for us to come in and spend time with that council and to have that warmth and that excitement of a group of people who really wanted us here was absolutely huge. Um, but for us, um, the, the thinking wasn't that, all right, we're going to bring the gospel at last to McLaren Vale. The gospel's been in McLaren Vale for quite some time. There have been many faithful people here over many generations. And we were not coming here to plant a church because others were failing in their jobs. We're coming here to plant a church because we were given a job. God had spoken and said, this is where we were to work, to work alongside other churches. And just as an aside, um, we're planning for the first time on doing something officially together with the McLaren Vale Uniting Church on Good Friday um, to actually have a time of worship together uh, in the morning on Good Friday. More details to come around that. But our heart is very much to work with those that are here. Um, but our heart is also to fulfill what God has called us to do. Um, and I am excited at the prospect of us fulfilling what God has called us to do. And I think maybe we've scratched the surface a little bit. We're coming up to two and a half years uh, since we first started. And I think maybe we've scratched the surface, but there is so much more for us to do. And what I'm excited about um, is seeing the kingdom here in McLaren Vale so much more than we have already. And we've definitely seen glimpses. We've definitely seen evidence of his kingdom at work here. But there is so much more. Our mission is simply to see the family of God expand through our shared kingdom life here in McLaren Vale. We're calling people into the family of God. It is a family that we are a part of. 
And that is a beautiful thing. And it is through our shared kingdom life. And we've taken steps towards that, but I do want to see us go deeper. Um, I share that because I think it is important. I think it is important. It's not something we've talked about from the front previously, but I think it's important to have that, a little bit of the history, and we'll share more in in other occasions. Um, But our history does matter. But what matters even more is the shared history that we have with so many other people. And we're going to go back to reading from Matthew chapter 4 in a minute because that is part of our shared history with the capital C church, like right across the world, where this is the foundations of Jesus' ministry. And times like Acts chapter 2, where we read about the day of Pentecost, what's often called the inauguration of the church, where things are taken to a different level. But we're going to have a look at um, Matthew chapter 4 just briefly together um, because this is a part of our history and a really, really important part of that. So Matthew chapter 4, we started at verse 12. Uh, You can see there in verse 14, it says, This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. We see that so many times in Matthew. It's already about half a dozen times at this point. It happened to fulfill. So when Jesus gets started in his earthly ministry, it is not a brand new thing. It has brand new implications, but it's a continuation of what God has been doing right throughout history. And look at verse 16. How epic is this? The people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. In both instances, you have an answer that is coming where there is a deep, deep question. Jesus is that light and he has dawned. Suddenly those in darkness have a light. Verse 17, from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. What does the word repent mean? We often talk about it as a a turning. There's a more literal meaning than that. Yeah, it's to change the way you think or to change your mind. And so when he says repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, he's talking to a people who have seen the kingdom as a far off reality. And he's like, change the way you think. The kingdom is now near. It's at hand. He even says that it's here. Change the way you think. That's really important for us. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Very, very similar to being transformed by repenting, by changing the way you think. We're told that he has put a new heart within us who believe. He's taken out the heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh. He's written his laws upon our heart. He has done something miraculous within us. We need to partner with him and allowing him to renew our mind. Otherwise, we will copy what the world does around us. We need to have our minds renewed. And it's a regular thing. It's an ongoing thing. Our minds are being renewed. And it is about 
where we're spending our time, where we're putting the emphasis of our life. As we continue on uh, with this passage verse, from verse 18, we see Jesus calling these two sets of brothers. And nice little play on words with you've been a fisherman, you've been catching fish, I'm now going to show you how to catch people. And in both instances, they leave everything behind and they follow him. It is no small thing to follow Jesus. You don't just continue to live the same way you've always lived and tack him on as a nice little addition. It is a change. They left everything and they followed him. The call of discipleship is that it's Jesus first. Everything else is a distant second. Jesus first. Everything else is a distant second. And that requires changing the way that we think. As we continue on, we see this section from verse 23. Now Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And we see the response is that he starts to do these things and he's healing people and so they bring him more people and more people with a greater variety of issues and he heals them. It's been said, if we were to look at his healing, if we were to look at his calming of the storm, that Jesus simply took the peace that was within him and applied it to the storm that was without. He took the health that was within him and he applied it to the sickness that was without. For Jesus, he is the kingdom like he is the king of the kingdom no one represents the kingdom of god more clearly and accurately than jesus all right so he is the representation of the kingdom he is our lord he is our savior but he's also our example when it comes to living out the kingdom and jesus was so filled with the spirit so consumed with the things of god that the things around him that were disorderly and were different to the kingdom came into line at his word. That is huge. There's an old concept I remember hearing about at Bible college back in the day, and I've heard others reference it as well. This concept of being a thermostat rather than a thermometer. You may have heard of it before. But a thermometer simply reveals what's going on in the atmosphere around it. So it displays what the current temperature is. Whereas a thermostat actually sets the temperature. Jesus was clearly a thermostat by that definition. He didn't just absorb what was going on around him. He impacted for the positive what was going on around him. It's not saying we don't reflect back what's happening around us. I think that's a prophetic role the church has. People think about prophetic and they often think about just predicting the future. But a role of prophets throughout history has been to hold up a mirror 
and to show what's actually happening within a culture, within a generation. I think that is something that the church is called to do. So don't hear me wrong in terms of being a thermometer. We don't reflect back on the culture what is happening. I think that is part of what we are to do. But when it comes to our life, what we are to do, how we are to live, we are not to be primarily influenced by the culture around us. We're actually intended to influence the culture around us, just like Jesus did. And so there's this basic approach that I'm looking to take because I've tried it. I've tried it for a long time. I've tried to live as a thermostat. I've tried to actually, like in the school where I've been teaching, in other environments, in the footy club, in other environments, I've tried to be a thermostat and actually impact on the culture around me. But I found it really hard. One of the really simple things that I've done, I was thinking about it today over the years, is just to wave on the road. I know it's a very country thing to do as you're driving along, just to, to say good day. Um, but I've been doing that for years. And I don't necessarily do it every single time I drive. When I think of it, it's a pretty regular thing. And I, I remember at first I would do it and I would feel really vulnerable in doing it because I'd wave, they wouldn't wave back and I'd start to feel a bit down about it. I remember actually trying it and counting how many people responded this one time. It was like 20 years ago. Um, and it was down this way and I was waving to everyone and then it comes back to me that um, my auntie who lives out north happened to be driving past me. And so she tells my mum who tells me, she's like, I couldn't believe that Shane recognised me today in the car, like <laughs> waved to me as I was driving past. I had no idea. Actually, my uncle on Friday, who lives in Moana, I was running, and I always say hi on the path. It's a simple thing that I do as I'm running along, just say good day, say good morning. Um, I find it more natural and easier to say hi to the runners that are going past. Um, and the cyclists, partly because there's so many cyclists and so few runners, my natural inclination is like, yeah, you know, we're doing this thing, we're out here running, you go boy or girl. Um, and, but I make it as a discipline. I'm just going to say hi to everyone. Um, and I get quite a few people that just, you know, their earphones in and they're fixed on the road ahead and they don't say anything. But just this simple thing of saying good day. But my uncle on Friday, I uh, did it again. I was like, you know, good morning, hello, whatever. And he's like, oh, hey, Shane. And I was like, hey, Grant. <laughs> it was already passed before I realized who it was because of the helmet and the glasses and stuff. Um, but, it's a simple thing of like, what would the kingdom look like if the kingdom of heaven was fully realized here in McLaren Vale? What would it look like as I walked down the street? And then what can I do right now that is a movement in that direction? I reckon everyone would say hi to each other as they drive past, as they walk past, run past, ride past. It's a really simple thing, but I think it can be a significant thing. But something that I'm, I'm looking to do, because as I look around environments like the footy club and the school, I see some impact, but I don't see anywhere near the impact that I want to see. And what I've been working on in the past year is some rhythms so that... I am breathing in the kingdom so that I can then breathe out 
the kingdom. And I've been trying to breathe out the kingdom. I've been trying to demonstrate the kingdom. But haven't, I don't think, been focused enough on how am I breathing it in? How is that a natural part of what I'm doing? On the Thursday just gone at at DG, we were doing breathing prayer. And it's part of this um, silence and solitude thing that we focused on. Um, And just this simple thing of actually expelling all the air in my lungs and then to breathe in deeper than I would normally breathe and just to focus in on my breathing. And I want to breathe in everything I can of God's kingdom. I want a deep, deep drafts like taken into me so that it's just the most natural thing to breathe it out wherever I am, whoever I'm with. And so the, the practice of the Sabbath has become something that I've just started on in the past year and silence and solitude and really just kicking that off in a whole new way with these DGs, like pushing into that. And I'm doing Lent. We, Chris and I started the year with, um, some, with a, a Daniel fast, so just limiting some of the things that we were eating. And in that, we're like, let's... Just pray together. Make sure that every day we pray together for at least 10 minutes. And it's just making sure that we're breathing in the kingdom. Making sure there's actually space and there's not just the world around us that we're breathing in. Um, And so with Lent at the moment, uh, it just started on Wednesday. But as a family, we're not watching TV during the weekdays. Kids can watch it on the weekend. Um, But, I mean, if I'm a someone's house like I'm not going to be too fussed about it the TV being on I'll even watch it but for me I'm not going to sit down um, in order to watch the footy um, during this period of time just as a simple thing that I would often do because I want to be breathing in the kingdom I want to have that influencing more influencing me more than anything else and so taking the time to do that and as I think about these things as I think about like the Sabbath and silence and solitude and, and Lent, I'm like, I'm shaping up like a pretty good Pharisee right here. Like there's a lot of rules that I'm trying to apply to my life. But it's not so that I can curry God's favor. It's not so that I can boast about it. It's because I need it. Because without breathing in the kingdom, I'm just going to breathe in a whole bunch of garbage and I won't have anything of value to share with others around me. The only hope I have of actually breathing out the kingdom, making an impact in that school, an impact in this community, an impact in the football club, is if I am more influenced by Jesus and his kingdom than I am by anything else. And I need to discipline myself. I'm more aware of that than ever. Five years ago, I had the most incredible encounter with the Lord. And it was around my understanding of my identity coming alive in who I am in Christ. And it's so significant for me. But I think there was this temptation for me to become so aware of my identity and think I didn't need to, like, let's take the book of Ephesians. The first half, this is who you are in Christ. The second half, this is how you walk it out. I was so enamored with the first half, I kind of thought I didn't need the second half. I need both. I need to start with sitting in the heavenly places, receiving all he has for me, 
so that I can then walk it out and take my stand against the enemy. We had a look at Watchman Nee's book last year, and I recommend it as he talks about those three things, sit, walk, stand. But I want to breathe in the kingdom so that I can breathe it out, so I can influence those around me. I don't want to be conformed to this world. I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. So I'm putting, in my, putting myself in a place where I can do that, saying no to things in order to say yes to something more significant. Another one that we're doing is just, it's not even that big a deal, but no phones after 8.30 p.m. should do that anyway, all the time. But just as a simple thing, like to finish the day well, start the day well, finish the day well, breathe in the kingdom so that we can breathe it out. In just a moment, we're going to celebrate communion together. Um, so maybe, Scotty, if you can let them, let the kids know, because we'd love to have the kids a part of this as well. Um, as, as we participate in communion, as we participate in the Lord's Supper, we are reminding ourselves that He is our sustainer. So as we take the food, as we take the drink, we are reminded that we are dependent upon Him and that it's Him in us. That's a remarkable reality. We want to meditate on that and we want to live it out, not just as a concept, not just as a thing that, oh yeah, I've got my couple of hours on a Sunday where I focus on that, then I can just live my real life the rest of the week. No. We want as our foundation to be Jesus, Him crucified for us. That I mentioned um, the paraphrase uh, called the message, um, Romans 12, where it says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. That same verse also says this, embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. It's like a chef who prepares the most amazing meal. Best thing you can do is to enjoy that food and celebrate how good it is. He has prepared the most amazing feast for us. Best thing we can do is to enjoy it. Best thing we can do is to enjoy it. But we want to put ourselves in a position where we can do that more regularly. Is this making sense? It's pretty basic stuff in many ways, but it's so important. And it can look religious. I remember... Um, not going to an event and then hearing from people in my Bible study group who had been to said event that the speaker had said, if I get to 10 p.m. and what I'm doing is less important than getting up at 6 a.m. for my quiet time with the Lord, I stop doing what I'm doing at 10 p.m. and get to bed so I can get up at 6 I was like, that is so legalistic. That's not legalistic. That's prioritizing what matters most with an allowance of 
if what I'm doing at 10 o'clock is actually really important for the kingdom, I'm going to keep doing it. I don't have to get up at 6, but if what I'm doing at 10 is not that important, I'm going to prioritize getting up at 6, starting my day with him. Kids, if you want to come in and, and take a seat, you're more than welcome to do that. Um, if you've got your Bibles there and it's helpful for you to see what I'm about to read, then please feel free to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Encourage the kids, if you've got a Bible handy, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, and this is the passage that's often read when it comes to communion. Um, and it's in this that we get Paul's instructions, which were, as we read, passed on to him. So he shares with us what he himself um, had received. So verse 23 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The bread he took and he said, This is my body. I like to think we have an invitation of every single time that we eat anything. We do it in remembrance of him. That's an invitation. We can redeem food in that way and make it something that brings Jesus to mind. And certainly when we do it together like this, it's in remembrance of him. Not as one who is no longer with us, as we might remember and respect the dead. Yes, he died, but he came back. And we remember that he is right here with us, sustaining us, and equipping us. So we take this, his body which is for us, and we take the cup, the smallest cups we've ever dished out for communion here, outpost, and we take this as the new covenant in his blood. There's a new promise, there's a new way of living, and it's incredible, and we're invited into it. So as you take these today, I just encourage you to remember that he sustains you, it's him. It's not the world around us, not the empty lies and promises of the world around us, but it's him who died for us. He sustains us. I'm going to pray and then you'll have an opportunity to come up and to receive communion. So Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his body, which is for us. We thank you for his blood, which is shed for us. We thank you for the reality of you in us and us in you. And I pray that our time together just now as we celebrate communion would be rich. May this be for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Just encourage you guys, we're going to um, have dinner together pretty soon. Um, but we'll just have this space with um, a little bit of quiet music playing and you're more than welcome to just linger here for a while 
um, I do really encourage you to encourage one another. Um, and just this simple concept of breathing in and breathing out. And I don't think we need to wait until we perfected the breathing in before we start breathing out. I think we want to be seeking to demonstrate the kingdom wherever possible. But I really think there should be a focus. How are we breathing in? And what's it going to look like this week? As you consider what it is to, to breathe in the kingdom, to breathe in Jesus, what will that look like for you this week? And you may have rhythms already established and you're continuing those, but I just encourage you, what will you do this week to, to breathe in the kingdom? Um, I'll pray. Father, we celebrate Jesus. We celebrate His life lived in perfection demonstrating the kingdom, ushering in the kingdom, and then empowering us to live out the kingdom as well. I pray, Lord, that we would receive what you have for us. And we wouldn't just do that once a week or once a month, but this would be like breathing, where we are dependent upon that breath and we know we are dependent, that we would be dependent upon you, breathing into us, speaking to us would we say no to other things in order to say yes to you to breathe in you today this week this month this year and beyond in Jesus name and Father we thank you for the provision of this food that we are about to eat we thank you that you are the ultimate provider pray that we would trust you and I pray that we would enjoy your good gifts, that we would enjoy this food. We bless the hands that have prepared it and we ask that it would nourish our bodies and our time together would encourage one another and bring glory and honour to your name. Hallelujah and amen. So feel free to linger. You're also welcome to head out and grab your dinner.